occurs to you that I might wish to take myself to a reputable doctor? Reputable? Yeah, a reputable doctor. I mean, I'm not trusting myself to a lot of ignorant grammar school oiks like yourself, because, <laughs> with the greatest possible respect, I don't think you're competent. Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. A little extract there, a little reminder of what comedy was like in the early 1970s with Doctor on the go. Two reasons for including it this week. One, I'm now a doctor. Who'd have thought that? And secondly, because I thought it was kind of interesting, the response of the person the doctor was visiting and describing that a grammar school oik could not be an appropriate doctor made me think a little bit about the fact of me becoming a doctor. (laughs) What that means, of course, I don't really know, apart from the fact that I now have a PhD uh, based on my work. I come from a background where both of my parents left school. Well, my father left school at age 11 and my mother left school, I think, at around age 15. Neither of them had any qualifications other than they both achieved the city and guilds in bricklaying and hairdressing, uh, respectively. Both of them had very successful careers in their chosen occupations, but that was my upbringing. It wasn't an academic one. I have one brother who didn't go to university, and I was the first one to go in our family to go into some form of higher education going to art school not university. But of course, at art school in those days, back in the 1980s, that's where you went to complete your degree in an art-based subject. I didn't go to a grammar school, but I did go to a good school in in an area that required me to travel quite a way to get to it. So my parents were working class, I suppose you would say. But they were always aspirational and we always did incredible things and they always wished the best for us, as I suppose any working class family is and does. Does that make me a working class photographer now? I've art directed Tatler magazine. I've hung out with celebrities, royal family, knowing people who really someone brought up in tooting shouldn't really ever meet or know. If you were going to follow the strict rules of class that existed in this country, and many people still feel exist today. I'm not a working class photographer. I'm just a photographer. I'm not a working class academic. I'm just an academic. I'm not a working class writer. I'm just a writer. And now I'm not a working class doctor. I guess I'm just a doctor. I'm not sure how many of you listening to this podcast are users of TikTok. It does seem to be, or it's perceived to be, much more for a younger person. I don't know how old you are listening. Maybe you're exactly right for that demographic. TikTok has 689 million monthly active users worldwide. And the TikTok app has been downloaded over 2 billion times on the App Store and Google Play. What made me kind of think about TikTok in the last week was I was watching the television program Glow, which is kind of like a makeup reality TV show where each week a makeup artist uh, gets kicked off the show for not meeting the grade. 
You know the kind of thing. Well, why was I watching it? Well, I'm always interested in makeup because I spent a lot of time working with makeup artists as a photographer. And also my young daughter really enjoys it. So we were watching it together and we've been watching it each week. This past week, the challenge that was set was to create a TikTok video. And the person, the expert, who was one of the judges, was a TikTok makeup hero. Somebody who had started making these little films, I presume to go up on YouTube or TikTok, when they were 11 years old. And now she was 19 and is a global star. Obviously, I had no idea who she was because it's not my world. But all of the contestants on the programme were hugely excited about this much more excited than they had been in a previous week when they'd had an opportunity to do makeup on the television programme The Crown. So TikTok was a bigger thing to them. But I didn't understand what they were doing and how they were doing it. And it made me realise how out of touch I was with this particular area of visual communication, visual storytelling and moving image. It made me think I was getting left behind, and maybe I am. But it also made me realise that if we're going to talk about photography, if we're going to talk about visual communication, it's really important not to get stuck back in the old ways. When I work with students... I'm trying to get them to understand the importance of the old ways, the importance of understanding the history of the medium. But what uh, watching Glow made me feel was it was about time I got my uh, chops together and started to check out TikTok. This week, we welcome to the podcast a photographer whose work I've admired for many years. Mark Steinmetz was born in New York City and raised in the Boston suburbs of Cambridge and Newton, where he lived until he was 12. He then moved to the Midwest before, age 21, he went to study photography at the Yale School of Art in New Haven, Connecticut. He left that MFA program after one semester, and in mid-1983, aged just 22, he moved to Los Angeles in search of the photographer Gary Winogrand, whom he befriended. Steinmetz makes photographs of ordinary people in the ordinary landscapes they inhabit and in the midst of activity. He finds many of his subjects whilst walking around, but he also spent time at Little League baseball and summer camps. His work has been exhibited in many major institutions, including the Museum of Modern Art New York, the Whitney Museum of American Art, the Museum of Contemporary Art Georgia, the Art Institute of Chicago, the Museum of Fine Arts Houston, and Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Public collections featuring his work include the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York, the Whitney, New York Museum of Modern Art, uh, the Art Institute of Chicago, San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, Yale University Art Gallery, and the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Nazareli Press has published nine monographs of his work, including South Central in 2006, South East in 2008, Greater Atlanta in 2009, 
the players in 2015 and Angel City West in 2016. Among other awards, Mark's uh, been the recipient of a John Simon Guggenheim Memorial Foundation Fellowship in 1994, and he resides now in Athens, Georgia. Hi, I'm Mark Steinmetz. I'm in Athens, Georgia, uh, USA, and I have been asked the question, um, the big question, what does photography mean to me? And first I would say that photography has no intrinsic meaning um, in and of itself. It's a tool, uh, nothing more. Um, A chef may have a fondness for his or her spatula, but finally it's just a tool. Um, And the, the mammoth beast of photography, all the various uses of photography, is uh, not something that I really think about too much or, or dwell upon. Um, I would um, paraphrase James Agee, uh, who wrote in an essay on, in a Helen Levitt's book, A Way of Seeing, that only a few practitioners have really helped us to see better. Um, most photography has um, signed, sort of dumbed down people's ability to see. It's, it's made people blind. Um, but a small percentage um, have really improved our abilities, ability to see. If some mad scientist were to strap me to a table or, or some very mean sorcerer were going to cast a spell on me and they told me that they were going to wipe, uh, wipe from my memory all traces of the late work of Eugene Auger or the, or the early work of Henri Cartier-Bresson, I would be more than terrified. Jean Renoir, the great filmmaker, uh, the son of the the, the painter, uh, was asked whether cinema is art. And his answer was, what does it matter? Um, He compared cinema to baking bread, which was very French of him. He said that it's something that can be done wonderfully. And anything that can be done wonderfully is, um, well, that's enough. Um, I think questions such as is cinema art is like other questions about about meaning, um, which is really is is this valuable? Is doing this thing something to cherish? And it leads us to other questions like um, what is the meaning of life, and does my life have meaning? And for all of these heavy questions, I would refer you to a cat lying in the sun. Um, the, the cat lying in the sun is not asking himself if his life has meaning. He knows that he is the meaning of his life. He, he has no guilt trip about lying in the sun. Um, he doesn't feel like he has to do anything. He, he doesn't have to have a purpose. He, he is the purpose. Uh, we don't have to have purpose. We are the purpose. For me, photography has been the vessel, the funnel, the container that directs my thoughts. It orchestrates my life. Um, And I can't really reach in deep enough to express all that it means to me. Um, For me, photography is a kind of literature. But it's a literature that affects people not through words, but through images. Images can touch other people in a different space and time and and in a way that words cannot. It's a system of sharing, a way of touching other people, and um, somewhere in this is its meaning.
thank you, Mark, for your contribution this week. This is episode 160, and I think that makes approximately 156 photographers who have contributed and attempted and sometimes and often very successfully answered the question, what does photography mean to you? I have to say that Mark's response is the one that's closest to my personal belief, and I suppose how I would answer the question. Particularly at the beginning there, where he was talking about photography in relation to the the spatula or the, the cooking implement, the idea of photography being the tool. It's so often the way in which I begin to talk about photography, particularly to young photographers, to try and get them to understand that photography in itself is not the answer. What it actually does is provide questions, and it's those questions that we we go out to try and seek answers for with our camera. Anyway, thank you very much, Mark. Lots to... uh, think about there and I I think you'll agree some really interesting uh, observations. Last week I mentioned that you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and that's still the case just by visiting getreview.co slash forward slash I should say profile forward slash UN of photo. Get review is G-E-T- R-E-V-U-E, and that will drop into your email box for free every Wednesday, updating you that the podcast is available and also giving you some information on articles that have been posted at unitednationsofphotography.com recently and also way back in our archive. Definitely some gems in there that I'm trying to uh, re-alert you to. As well as that, if you've enjoyed Mark's contribution this week to What Does Photography Mean to You? You may also enjoy the book of the podcast uh, called What Does Photography Mean to You? It contains 89 professional award-winning photographers from around the world explaining what photography means to them. Available now at bluecoatpress.co.uk at just £9.99 plus post and packing, and we'll send that to you wherever you are in the world. I started off talking on this podcast about the fact that um, I've completed successfully um, my PhD, and of course that raises that whole uh, kind of thorny subject about qualifications in photography, whether or not they're of any importance, whether or not they're of any relevance. I think the simple answer is that it all depends upon what your expectations are and what you intend to do with that qualification in the end. A lot of uh, positions at universities in teaching photography nowadays do suggest or require a PhD or an MA or equivalent experience within industry. Don't be put off by that requirement of the qualification, but do be aware of exactly what academic teaching involves. At Oxford Brooks, where I run the course there, we have a very specific type of photography course, and I've really been encouraging 
photographers who've never taught before to come onto the course and teach the students, take on a module and see how it goes. We've just got to the end of our first academic year there of really implementing that that idea and that process. And I think all of the photographers who've been involved in teaching, many of which for the first time, would definitely say that they've learnt a lot. They've found it really challenging, really tiring, but also very rewarding. So at this time of year, a lot of uh, universities and higher education institutions may well be looking out for people. You can find those jobs at jobs.ac.uk. That's in the UK, obviously, and I'm sure there must be similar websites wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go on there. Have a look. Think about whether or not you would like to move your work towards teaching. Are you the right kind of person for the course? And is the course the right kind of per- a kind of course, I should say, for you? Are the people running the course the kind of people you want to work with? If you're thinking about this, and I know a lot of you are because a lot of you reach out to me and ask me questions about all of this. There are a couple of articles on United Nations of Photography website uh, which might help you understand what exactly higher education institutions are looking for. One of them is about opening the door to education, and that's where I would start with this process. So if you are interested in that, have a look at it, think about it, but be aware that it is quite a big commitment. Just to finish off this week's episode, there's someone who has been a touchstone for this podcast who's reaching a big birthday uh, in the coming week. I'm not going to tell you who it is. I'm just going to say, I was so much older then, I'm younger than that now. Happy birthday, Bob. Take care.